0: I'm gonna the thing. <laughs> 16-year-old thing Welcome to another episode of On the Job with PORAC. I'm Brian Marvel, president of PORAC. With me is PORAC vice president, Damon Kurtz. Today, we're hosting PORAC's legislative advocate, Randy Perry, of Aaron Reed & Associates, to cover our state's latest legislative updates. Uh, Welcome back, Randy. We always appreciate it when you
1: come in. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: We have a uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, obviously. Um, February 19th was the last day to introduce legislation. I think Aaron sent over like 2,300 total bills, I think, uh, that were introduced. History with us, you you actually worked for us at one time, and now you work for Aaron Reed. And um, I say this everywhere I go, uh, Porak has the best uh, legislative advocates in Sacramento. Um, Aaron Reed and Associates are second to none. And I'm extremely grateful for that, considering just in my three years here, uh, it's been pretty tumultuous at the Capitol uh, in regards to legislation. I think even with COVID-19 and now uh, in 2021 with uh, hopefully the... We're flattening the curb down to zero on the COVID stuff. First, why don't we just start off to get your perspective of how it's been to be an advocate in Sacramento under COVID-19. Because um, we recently had a guest in here, Assemblymember Jim Cooper, and we talked about it from a legislative perspective as a legislature. It'd be good to get your perspective as an advocate who actually has to work the halls and deal with face-to-face relationships. Damon and I talk about this a lot. It's just we're sort of zoomed out. um, I don't know uh, if you're as effective as you can be on a Zoom call versus in face to face. So, what are your thoughts about the complete? changing of the way that we're legislating in Sacramento under COVID-19.
1: Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, the last three years have been not just tumultuous, but I mean, obviously, law enforcement's had a target on their backs. So the importance of walking the halls over at the Capitol um, has never been, been more impacting. To not be able to do that, to not be able to walk into each office, you know, one of the uh, one of the strategies that I have is when I really need to work a bill, I go up to the sixth floor cafeteria, I have a cup of coffee or a couple shots of uh, of caffeine not alcohol I wish I did Um, that's before I get into the Capitol and then I just start on the sixth floor and I just walk my way down the stairs and hit every office on the floor until I get down to the first floor I to not be able to do that at all is unbelievably uh, uh, handcuffing the positive aspect of it is this Right now, the way I am working to try and get votes on certain issues, or at least educate them on positions of poor has, I am literally calling and texting members directly. the rule is you can't do that when you're in the capital and they're on the floor. You're not supposed to do that. They have rules against that. But with COVID, I mean, it's just like them calling me, you know, when they call for fundraisers and stuff like that, right? They can call me directly. I call them directly. So in a way it's been more uh, successful in, in that sense that I can talk to them and that they will answer their phone. Right. But uh, I mean, literally being able to just pick up the phone, calling, them directly or texting them and getting an answer back right away has been very
0: effective to but to add to that you know it's like you know i did some interviews last year after the last legislative session and you know the reporter had said that it was unfair that uh, we had phone numbers of elected officials and i'm sitting there thinking to myself i'm like but every advocate in the capitol probably has exactly the same thing that you have in a sense that they're able to call these people just like we are it's there's no unfair uh burden 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 or I don't know if burden is the right word, but there's just, Everybody has an equal footing when it comes to being able to call legislatures and, and talk to them. It's unique to hear that uh, you know it's having to move from the face to face to to the phone call. But you know, I think you as a person and what you do, you have a unique skill set in that you're very personable. Uh, you're able to uh, you know have those kind of conversations on a face to face level and advocate for poor acts positions, which I think is a huge bonus for us as an organization because. Whoever sits in our seats, you're here. You're the consistent voice. You know the track record. You've been with us for, uh, you know, hundred years. Uh, you know, but the reality is, um, you know, I I think people that have the skills that you have and the fact of of being able to uh, to communicate effectively, either face to face or on the phone, is is uh, is huge
2: for Porak, and I really appreciate that. It's interesting, your perspective on that, having, it's almost been as effective to a certain extent, having that direct contact with the member, because, we, you know, we were just talking, you know, last year, especially it was new to us and it was very frustrating from the outside, looking in, feeling like we were being boxed out, if you will, of conversations because you, it's really difficult to get that access. But because of your years of being in the building, you you technically, you really have that access. You already have all those contacts and those relationships that are already built in which is helpful for you and then obviously what I was thinking too was what folks don't realize too is how much influence their individual staff has on their decision making and their biases and opinions weigh into how they communicate that to the member and you're in a way bypassing that staff and going directly to the member with the issues and can maybe educate them a little better that the, the message doesn't get filtered I guess so maybe that's, that's a positive that um, I didn't really see of this well um, what's going on
1: well I mean don't get me wrong I, I talk with a lot of staff I mean I will I'll, I'll be honest with you the staff in the building are very important I mean they for the reasons you state, you know they're the ones who are doing the deep dive on the bills and then they just give the the overview to the member and then if the member you know depending on the member a lot of them do the deep dives themselves you know that a lot of times a member just goes by what the staffer has gleaned from the, the bill so that's an important part but the staff is important I mean I I communicate a lot with the ledge directors and all that you have
2: to yeah yeah I didn't mean to insinuate what anyway, you didn't just yeah. it was just right, kind right, of an right. interesting dynamic there um because a lot of times you know staff runs interference for right. them because they're busy yeah that's their job that, yeah. that's their job and they're busy and they do a lot of the research for them but as you know our experience in you know advocacy and lobbying with both here and at the federal level um you can usually tell from the demeanor of the staff on whether or not they're receptive to what you're talking about or not right and, <laughs> and, and it, you realize right away that you're going to have to put more work in in this office and at some point you need to actually get in with the, um, the, the member themselves. Otherwise, the message is not really going to get there the yeah. way you want it to be conveyed.
1: Yeah. One, one last thing on that is just the negative impact of the COVID issue has been testifying. Yes. I mean to to sit there and just call in and tell your position in you know two seconds is, is ridiculous. I mean I am so used to sitting. With, Aaron and I both will sit at the table, look members in the eyes, answer their questions, read their you know kind of their the way they're looking at you and all that on whether or not you need to maybe put a little more effort into that <laughs> lobby of that member is is no longer available. I mean, so that's the difficulty. There's the walk in the hall thing, but there's also the face to face on testimony, and that that has been a negative impact.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that you know, Damon and I, when we testify at some of these other groups, um, you know, it's all Zoom, and sometimes the uh, the Zoom there's there's no there's no visual. It's just your voice of uh, trying to express our message, which is a little frustrating because, like you said, uh, our professions and your profession is 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 reading people. And, and, and what, they're, uh, what they look like and how they're, uh, you know, handling what you're telling them. So, yeah, that is uh, interesting and obviously uh, you know, with COVID-19 and the vaccines uh, being rolled out, hopefully we can have another conversation about what kind of changes and how we adapt to maybe the new environment post COVID-19. Um, but with that said, obviously uh, one of the biggest uh, bills that we're working on this year is uh, Senate Bill uh, 387, the LEARN Act. Senator Portentino is carrying that for us. And the, the good thing about the Zoom is, and, and I think Damon will agree, is uh, it's allowed Damon and I to actually, I think we've attended every single chapter meeting uh, that's happened since January, um, which is huge because uh, a lot of times when we weren't doing Zoom, we would have to travel. Uh, Porek has 15 chapters now. Sometimes it's difficult to get around the state uh, for so many meetings per month, Um But there's this, and and I've run into this in in several places, is obviously we have our SB 387. uh, Assembly member Reggie Jones-Sawyer introduced uh, Assembly Bill 89 uh, shortly after us. Uh, And I think a lot of our members are looking at his bill thinking it's our bill. And I guess let's talk a little bit about his bill. So his bill requires, in order for you to go to the police academy in the state of California, prospectively, uh, you have to be 25 years old and you have to have a bachelor's degree. I think that's pretty much the premise. Correct. And then now you have our bill, SB 387, uh, the LEARN Act, uh, which is a little bit different. Um, Why don't we hit a
1: couple bullet points on that one? Sure. We started out thinking about trying to at least mandate an AA degree, a community college degree. And the whole idea is we have several studies that have shown, we have four specifically that have shown that the more education an officer has, more college education an officer has, the Less likely they are to use force or will use force later on in the in the uh, in the interaction with somebody on the street that they're the the studies have shown they have better communication skills and the like obviously it's that's a overview of thousands and thousands of uh, officers around the country um, reviewed but so the idea was, and, and many legislators at the end of last year started talking about um, more education for officers and more training. And so that's what kind of kicked it off. And then when they had the first hearing during the fall of the subcommittee, of the assembly subcommittee on police reform, that was the main topic where they kept talk, going back to education. So we sat down and, and, and thought about trying to implement an AA degree. The problem was when we started talking to members about, especially labor-oriented members like uh, Lorena Gonzalez and others, their concern was that... Law enforcement is still a profession where a high school diploma qualifies you to be able to go into the academy. Obviously, there's a lot of other requirements once you get there in terms of backgrounds. But education wise, it was for the average high school diploma person to have a career. And their concern was we were taking away that career from someone with a high school diploma.
2: And absolutely. We're still seen as a blue-collar profession. And even though I think over the years we've morphed into um, much more technical than we've ever been, you know, with computers and the different uh, sciences involved with law enforcement and specialties that you can go into. Um, but, you know, at the base level when you're coming in, it's a it's, it's blue-collar job. And and I think it's important that we try to keep that. And that's I think that's what we're trying to do with this bill is to try to keep that ability there for folks coming out who don't want to go to college um, a career that they can go and make a living in and make an impact in their communities.
1: And the way we drafted the bills, we kept that where you can go into the uh, academy with a high school diploma. But by the time you finish the academy, complete the academy, complete your probation, and you get your basic post certificate on the street, you will have taken college courses Therefore, that are specific about things of, uh, that you will need and tools you will need to be a uh, cop on today's streets, and so that was the idea, and that's how we drafted it. The bill does two other things. It also sets up a recruitment task force, statewide task force on recruitment, and then also sets up a grant program for underprivileged uh, individuals who financially, you know, cannot afford to go to the academy will be able to get grants. And we're still working on how those would be dispersed right now. So those are the three things that the LEARN Act does. Yeah, I
0: think it's it's important to, uh, to focus on that. And, I, and I've really tried to express to the members that our bill does nothing to prevent somebody with just a high school education to enter the police academy and become a peace officer. Our goal was to provide resources and the ability for people to attain uh, a bachelor's degree or higher education. And have it funded through state grants has really been the focus of this. And, um, you know, one of the other important pieces, the the statewide task force addressing the recruiting and retention. Um, I think if you look around the state, some places are having big issues with that. And it could be for a variety of reasons, the narrative on law enforcement, just not wanting to go into the profession of what's going on uh, right now, Um, you know, wanting to be a career, especially uh, minorities or people of color, um, they experience even more pressure from within their own communities to not be a peace officer, which is a shame because those are the folks that we really want to recruit. We want to bring them into the profession. We want to bring more women into the profession. We want to open it up and expand it. And I think another part of our bill was uh, you know, trying to get officers into the schools to be able to show the younger kids that this is a great profession. It's a great middle-class job with retirement security. you know. And, and I think Assemblywoman Gonzalez hits the point on the head she does not want to close that door and I don't think we should right and
2: and I don't think we should absolutely and I think the other part and Brian and I we you know we've had this conversation several times is that and, and it was painfully evident over the last two, three years of legislation, and we you know focus on what on law enforcement and you know we often revert back to we'll create a training for this we'll create a training for that and and that's nothing new law enforcement's constant in a constant change, uh, state of change and you know new tactics new new policies new procedures. but what we recognized was our academy was still pretty much the same it was when I went through twenty seven years ago as far as the amount of hours, but the content you now has expanded, you know, exponentially and that trying to fit it into that window is very, very difficult. So how do we do something to put... Training and, and and classes together that maybe goes outside of the academy because we I know we are limited to that and then and funding's an issue, right? Departments aren't going to want to put someone in school for a year and not get any productivity out of them during that time frame. So you know there's that where where's that uh, that balancing act that pushes departments away from putting people through the academy and expecting you to do it yourself, which a lot of the smaller agencies do. So how do we do that? And I think this accomplishes that. You still go to the academy, you still be hired but after being hired and you're working and you're doing the job you have these additional classes that work that are going to be there for you to help you be more successful in your career and also serving the community in, in a better way, so I think that's the goal.
0: In addition, with our bill, this is a ten year bill. This isn't something that we're trying to push over the line, and it starts next year in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four. This is something that we we want to talk to researchers. We want to talk to people that are uh, you know specialized. Uh, we want to get together with the uh, the folks at the uh, the university system, the state system, the junior colleges, uh, because I think another component in our bill is the trying to craft a bill that's specific sort of like a nursing program so it would be like a police science bill versus a criminal justice to where the focus would be on how to improve and be a better officer to serve our communities Um, and i think our bill is a very good avenue uh taking a look at it and giving us the time to craft this and work on it and make sure we do it right uh over these 10 years with that said what what are you are you what kind of feedback are you hearing from the members, prospects, uh, are we in good shape or, um, is this going to be one of these things where it's, it's, it's too onerous. And my, my biggest fear is when it comes to elected folks, they're, they're real big into instant gratification on legislation. Uh, this is a 10 year bill. Some folks may not even be here when this comes to fruition and, and becomes reality. Um, so, uh, be interesting to hear your thoughts and perspective on
1: that yeah well to clarify I mean the bill would be take effect January 1st of 22 um, like any normal bill and then what the bill calls for is for post to get together with CSU UC and community colleges to create these courses that we're talking about and they would then be implemented prospectively the goal with the goal being by the end of this decade this is poor act school by the end of this decade to have the best trained and, and educated officers in the world in California and that's the idea to have that specific law enforcement um, degree that officers will be able to have to be better officers on the street so that's the idea in terms of you know the policy of it you know I mean we're gonna to try to sit down with uh, mr. Jones Sawyer he's the chair of the Assembly Public Safety Committee Let's see if we can work together on one education bill see if that's doable I think he is going to have uh, issues with his bill simply because I've already heard a couple of members who feel that requiring with the 25 year requirement and the four-year degree requirement that you actually can hurt the ability of lower income individuals or and or minorities to be able to get into the profession because they don't have the opportunities perhaps to go to a four-year college and get a four-year degree and the like so and by age 25 maybe they're already look you know maybe they're taking care of their families um, and they you know maybe all the kids in a family have to work in order to make enough money to pay the rent so I, I think Think that could have a negative impact on what we're trying to do and that is to recruit more minorities and get those minority officers back into the neighborhoods where they grew up that's part of the the idea of the bill
0: yeah i think the uh, the age 25 was a little shocking to hear because you know he, so- so if, even if you go to college right out of high school, uh, you know, so you graduate at, say, 22, you're starting a career. You're going to be three years into a career, and then you're going to decide, hey, I'm going to have to go through this police cab. I'm going to, I'm going to spend another year back in training at 25 probably getting a substantially reduced pay going through the academy to start a whole new career where you've already spent three years building yourself up within a business. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand the thought process on that. And I just um, I just think it would be very detrimental for uh, law enforcement throughout the state. Well, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, other legislation, but uh, it looks like this is going to be a podcast on SB 387 to thank you for all joining us on our latest episode of On the Job with PORAC. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd like to take this time to say thank you to all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. Be safe and have a great day. PORAC is California's largest law enforcement organization and the largest statewide association in the nation, representing over 77,000 public safety members since 1953. Our monthly podcasts, as well as past episodes, are available on corac.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, PORAC's YouTube channel, or where popular podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and tag us with your suggestions for future show topics. To learn more about our organization, visit us at Porak.org. We are Porak.